Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McClain. You can reach me at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. You can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg's great time to be doing podcasts. So many things going on in Houston, trading Deshaun Watson, losing Carlos Correa back-to-back days. We knew Watson was going to be gone. And we thought Correa was going to be gone, but when he didn't get that 10-year contract he wanted for 300 plus million, I know a lot of people, like me, got their hopes up that he might stay at least on a short-term deal, and it makes me sick that he went to the Twins. Yeah, I did not see the Twins as his destination, but it could just be a brief layover for all we know with the opt-outs, and if they're not in contention... Come the trade deadline, you figure he'd be a hot commodity. So Carlos Correa might not come to Minute Maid Park this year as a member of the Twins because they're not supposed to come here until early August, and he could be gone by then for the trade deadline. So could he be back with the Astros? I doubt that, you know, but stranger things have happened. But yes, quite the uh, memorable 12-hour stretch in Houston sports from uh, Friday afternoon to the early hours of Saturday morning when we found out about Carlos Correa. So lots for us to chew over, John. Um, The Texans, we did a brief podcast after the Texans and Browns agreed to a trade last week, and the terms have since been modified. So the Texans, I believe they got an extra fourth round pick out of the deal. So this year, and they will have six draft picks total for Deshaun Watson. I'm not naive enough to think that you can ever get fair value when you trade a franchise quarterback. But when you look at the situation with Watson's no trade clause, having de facto veto power over a trade, was this the best return Nick Casario could get under the circumstances? Greg, I've been reading and listening to a lot of income poops who ripped Casario saying he could have got a better deal. And I'm like, how? He was negotiating handcuffed. He had no say in where he went. Watson controlled everything. Those other finalists could have offered five number ones, five players, and he couldn't take it if Watson insisted he was going to Cleveland so he could get his $230 million guaranteed. The only way he might have gotten a better deal is if, say, two teams offered the same thing and Watson got $230 million guaranteed from both of them. Watson said, I don't care. Trade me to one of them. And he could have squeezed out another draft choice. As for those extra picks that were affected, getting a four this year, and instead of trading a five in 2024, it's a six. And I know Casario said on Sports Radio 610, you know, there's details. What's reported is not all always accurate. And I'd say, but Nick, it was announced by the Cleveland Browns. So there's speculation, Greg, and I buy this that the Browns somehow tampered with Watson. And one way they could have done it was after they were eliminated, they came back in it without asking for Casario's permission, or they signed him to a contract while he was still with the Texans. You know, what teams give teams a chance to do is agree on a contract. So I don't think out of the goodness of their heart, the Browns just said, hey, here's another four this year. Texans have, have five of the top 80 and two fours. And I think this had something to do with possible tampering charges. And Nick Casario saying, okay, let's do this. And they said, all right, we'll do it. 
and uh, everybody was happy, especially Watson, of course. I think the Deshaun story is going to be prominent here, Greg, for at least through this season, everything he does or doesn't do, people are going to want to know, especially the off-the-field stuff, including the 22 civil suits accusing him of sexual assault, misconduct, uh, harassment. People are going to keep up with that. And they've gotten a lot of criticism, like we knew they would, locally and nationally, but they knew it was coming. So they just take it, and then wait till he gets on the field because they know he's going to be a great quarterback, and then he'll get standing ovations. Yeah, John, I thought the statements that were put out last weekend by Jimmy Haslam and his wife, Dee, the owners, then Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, the general manager, and Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, were laughable. I mean, everybody could see through that. I mean, I don't know. It just wasn't a good PR move. Speaking of spin, there's some spin coming out now that Deshaun woke up on Friday thinking he wasn't prioritizing the right things and he, if he wants to leave a legacy, he has to win Super Bowls and go to the place with the best football situation. So that's why he chose Cleveland. I can think of 230 million reasons why he chose Cleveland. I don't think the football situation is is at the top of the list. Uh, what do you think of this new spin on, on Watson's decision that's been pushed out there? Greg, I think that's BS. It's 230 million guaranteed is why he's going to Cleveland. Now, of course, the Browns have the best talent, but they play in a tough division. Their home games are outdoors. The division games are outdoors. He eliminated Cleveland first, and there was a reason. And I remember the Athletic did a story about how it happened start to finish, and they said, he, you know, that one game he was there, and that was on November 15th, and the weather was so bad with wind, rain, hail, and lightning, they delayed the start and evacuated the stadium, and he averaged 3.2 yards per attempt. They got beat 10 to 7, and he can expect a lot of that because the wind blows so hard in First Energy Stadium because it's right on Lake Erie, and he eliminated them. And then, obviously, uh, I saw this report, and I think it was Mike Florio, and I buy into it, that after he eliminated Cleveland, Baker Mayfield went to ESPN and said, I want out. And Mayfield's kind of a pain to deal with anyway, and that the Browns said, okay, this is going to be a disaster. What can we do to get back into the Watson sweepstakes? And they said, well, let's – Let's talk about guarantees. They want guarantees in that new deal. Let's talk about it. And so I think Andrew Berry, their general manager, and his contract guy called David Mulligetta, the agent, and they worked that out. And I think that Mulligetta and Watson, to a certain extent, uh, probably are tired of hearing everybody say and write that the only reason he picked Cleveland was because of $230 million guaranteed. So they want to try to put it out there. It was a football decision. No, if it had been a football decision, he would not have eliminated them first. Okay, John, so Watson is gone. We've got to look at the Texans moving forward now. They've got the third pick in the draft. They've got the number 13 pick overall now. What are the odds they trade that number three pick to a team that, say, wants to draft Malik Willis? but is afraid he won't be there when when they're picking, say, in the top 10, like a Carolina or maybe the Giants or some quarterback needy team. Do you see that as a likely development leading up to the draft? I'll tell you what blows me away, Greg. Malik Willis, he went to the senior ball and did well in the workouts. At least he had on pads. But then he went to the combine 
in shorts and a T-shirt with no pressure, nobody covering the receivers. He threw the ball well, and all these NFL teams and media people are ooing and eyeing about Malik Willis like they'd never seen any tape. And then his pro day this week, oh, my God, they're talking about him going to Detroit second overall. And I'm thinking, why? All he's done is run around in his underwear. And it happens every year with quarterbacks and other players to a certain extent, but especially quarterbacks. I love somebody recommended one year, and they considered it about two minutes, that they work out at the combine in pads. And, uh, of course, the agents said they would have nothing to do with that. But So Willis's stock supposedly is on the rise primarily because of two workouts. And I'm thinking, geez, wait till teams up at the top get to give him private workouts and have lunch and dinner with him. They may try to trade up to number one with the Jaguars to get him. And But if there are teams, as you mentioned, that are hot to trot for Malik Willis and they want that third pick and they're willing to throw in their one and something else, I've, I believe Nick, uh, Casario will do it because he has so many needs. Now, if he trades down too far, he's gonna he's gonna lose an elite prospect. And number three, I've been doing mock drafts and haven't taken Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, who a lot of people have as the best prospect in the draft because they're destitute at safety. They need an edge rusher, but they're not destitute. They have people. They need offensive linemen. And if they're bringing back Laramie Tunsil to go with Titus Howard. And they signed A.J. Ken to play right guard. means they lead a left guard and a center. And I think Ike Kwanu, who plays tackle and guard and is the most fearsome, nasty run blocker in the draft, they could take him at three, plug him in there, assuming Aiden Hutchinson goes first overall, they could take an edge rusher, Trayvon Walker from, from uh, Georgia or uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. So they have a lot of possibilities. So trading down, with, say, Carolina at six, I think would be very smart. But one thing to consider, Greg, right now they have 11 picks. You don't want too many rookies on your team. You put them on the practice squad, people sign them, and they got to clear waivers. So I think what we're going to see is Casario making deals to acquire picks and then utilizing those picks to move back up like he did to get Nico Collins in the third round, but also, Greg, say he traded a three and a four this year for a two next year because this rebuild is not going to be over this year. This is phase two. I think next year, phase three, is when you will see them need more picks besides their two ones, and you will see them spend more money on better players in free agency. And Casario mentioned in his last news conference after the Watson trade about being over $100 million under the cap next year. And he's been very judicious, but if they think they're going to be a contender for the playoffs or the AFC South title in 2023, they're going to spend more money. But if they stay in these two spots and they say they took an offensive lineman with the first pick and there's depth in the offensive line. In fact, there's depth at whatever at their biggest needs, offensive line, edge rusher, and safety. And they have other needs, but those positions are especially deep. And somewhere, I'm guessing with 37th pick, they're going to take a running back, depending on who's there. Brace Hollow, Iowa State, or Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. One of those guys is there, and Casario likes him. Take him. 
because all the best running backs right now came in the second round. John, you had a column in the Chronicle earlier this week saying the Texans, they're happy with Davis Mills, but they, they'll keep their draft options open at quarterback. Is the number 13 pick a potential spot? Or if they trade further down in the draft order, is that a potential spot to take like a Matt Corral or a Kenny Pickett? Or no. are they just good? They would look no. in the mid rounds for quarterback if they took a quarterback again. Yeah, what I wrote was they wouldn't use a premium pick first three rounds on a quarterback to get two million games. And they really like Davis Mills. One reason Pep Hamilton stayed here when he had other offers because he likes Mills. Lovey Smith told me that because Pep's track record of working with young quarterbacks and how much he believes in Mills, that's one reason Lovey likes him. And Lovey got to see him every day in practice, not just in games and on tape, but watching him every day. And I know Casario likes him. and But they're not coming out and saying he's a guy. And as I wrote, the reason for that is because they want people to think they might take a quarterback. And if there's somebody, say, at 13, and Matt Corral, when he was finally able to work out, blows everybody away in shorts and a T-shirt, and somebody says, you know, we want Corral, and the Texans might take him, or they may trade him to such and such team. We better make a deal. So I think that that Nick Serio is trying to utilize strategy to see if he can get more picks, and it's a smart thing to do. But I know Mills is going to be their quarterback going into next season. Some interesting offseason news this week, John, in the NFL. We had a couple of notable trades. First, uh, the Falcons, after they were either left at the altar by Deshaun Watson or just blown off altogether, they traded Matt Ryan to the Colts for a third-round pick. He is going to be the fifth different starting quarterback for Frank Reich in five seasons as coach in Indianapolis. What do you think of that fit between Matt Ryan and the Colts? Greg, I've already seen some of the media types, including ones who used to play or were general manager coaches, saying you can pencil them in for the playoffs. And I'm thinking, okay, Ryan had 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and a 90 rating last season. He'll be he's gonna be thirty play at thirty seven or thirty eight and he gets sacked a lot because he's not mobile and he goes down easier than he used to. Now he's going behind a good offensive line, great running game. Receivers are nothing special. But in the AFC, I don't think it guarantees anything for the Colts. They couldn't even beat Jacksonville to make the playoffs this past season. So, you know, ideally they'd like to make a run at the Titans for the AFC South title. And ideally, they both should be 4-0 against the division. But the Titans lost to the Texans and, and then beat them by three in the last game when they were clinching the AFC South title and home field advantage. And then Indy got beat by the Jaguars. So they should have whipped up on the two weaklings last season. But I think under the circumstances, it was a good deal for the Colts and Frank Reich. Frank Reich's been head coach four years. He's won one playoff game. That was over the Texans in 2018. And Jim Mercy has told him and GM Chris Ballard how how high his expectations are for this offseason and next season after what happened to them last season when they basically wasted Jonathan Taylor's great season when he was an MVP candidate. And so I think I don't see how the team that they swept the Texans. Carson Wentz played really well in those games. And so I don't think they're going to be better against the Texans, but maybe they will be against uh, 
the in, uh, the other teams, but maybe Matt Ryan will help them actually sweep the Jaguars. Well, I, I think the bar is kind of low for Matt Ryan when you look at what Carson Wentz did last year, throwing left-handed pick sixes at his own goal line. <laughs> I don't think Matt Ryan will do that. So I think the Colts will be okay. But it's kind of interesting that a franchise that had Peyton Manning for so long, then they got Andrew Luck, and now they're going on their fourth straight bridge quarterback. So it's kind of uh, kind of weird how things turn out like that. Other big move this week in the NFL, um, Chiefs could not reach an extension agreement with Tyreek Hill, so they traded him to the Dolphins for five draft picks including a first-round pick this year. So the question is, did Patrick Mahomes make Tyreek Hill or did Tyreek Hill make Patrick Mahomes? Let me give you this example. Devontae Adams, when he got traded, I heard one former NFL player with a Super Bowl ring, and I'm not going to use his name, say that he would make Derek Carr the best quarterback in that division. I'm like, give me a bleeping break. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl without Devontae Adams, and I believe I saw they are 7-0 and and averaged 31 points a game when Adams was out. Great quarterbacks make the receivers in almost every case, and in this instance, I think in Tyreek Hill and Patrick Combs, and in this case, when Tyreek Hill's running those slant routes and Mahomes throws him those sidearm passes around pass rushers, and Hill turns a corner and goes a distance, that's good for the speed. Tuatun of Iloa is not a deep-throwing passer. And I think whoever the Chiefs bring in there, they're just like Aaron Rodgers. And he's going to make those guys really good. Maybe there'll be another third-round pick like Devontae Adams, who they make great. And what's amazing is the Dolphins gave up five picks, including first and second rounders, and the Packers got first and second round picks for Devontae Adams. So they got their money. You know, Adams' contract changed everything for receivers. I can't wait, Greg, for the next big quarterback contract to come up. And they say, well, I want $231 million guaranteed. Yeah, you could argue that Bill O'Brien trading DeAndre Hopkins kind of started that whole revolution for wide receivers because – so Hopkins got a new deal in Arizona and Stefan Diggs got traded to Buffalo and then and so on and so on. You know, after we did our, our brief podcast last Friday reacting to the Watson news, had a bit of had a bit of sad news from the NFL world. Longtime colleague of yours, John Clayton, known for many years on ESPN as an insider there, really one of the original insiders, you know, in the NFL. Now you got people on Twitter that call themselves insiders. Everybody's everybody thinks of themselves as an insider. But John Clayton was one of the originals, like him, Will McDonough. You know, they were they were one of those the original newspaper reporters who moved to television. You go way back with John Clayton to the 1970s. He covered the Steelers originally. Obviously, you cover the Oilers in the old AFC Central. What are some of your memories of John Clayton from over the years, John? John liked information. And if you were, say, at a combine and you were sitting way away from him, You knew eventually he's going to make his way over and sit down and pick your brain. He would call. He called me several times a year. We'd talk about our wives, Carol and Pat. And then we'd, he just want to know what I know and what I thought. And I'd get it from him. And John had great respect from NFL people. The way the combine used to be set up in the old RCA dome with a convention center next door, we had a media room at the convention center. 
And if you stood outside in this really wide hallway, every NFL person had to walk by us. And every time I went out there, I would see Clayton have a coach or general manager up against the wall, picking his brain. And I've told this story quite a bit because I think it is a great example of uh, how much respect Clayton had one year we're at the league meetings and people didn't approach Al Davis because if he didn't want to talk, he'd cuss you out when he was saying it. And But if he knew you, like if you were uh, a media member from the original AFC when it was founded, like Will McDonough, Larry Felser from Buffalo, Jerry McGee from Denver, Al liked to talk about the old AFL. And I remember one day sitting outside the ballroom where the owners and coaches and general managers and other executives were. And I saw Al come outside during a lunch break and go up, talk to a couple of general managers. And then others uh, approached very carefully and he would like wave them away or look at them and they scurry away. And Clayton comes in, walks right up, shakes hands with all three of them. Al waves off the ones he was talking to, walks down the hall with his arm around Clayton's shoulders, the two of them uh, huddled, uh, talking about who knows what. And that's the kind of respect Clayton had. He's 67. He, uh, from what I his wife, Pat, has multiple sclerosis, and he's been taking care of her for years. And from what I heard, John had pain, and he wouldn't go to the hospital until it became unbearable. And then he did, and turned out he had a couple of organs that shut down more were on their way. And he died at home with Pat and others uh, who were close to him at his side. And, man, he's going to be missed by a lot of people. He was still working as a sideline reporter for the Seahawks on their radio broadcast. And he had a weekend talk show in the Tacoma, Seattle area. And he wrote an NFL column once a week for the Washington Post. And John told me one time, I said, when are you going to retire? He said, I'll never retire. I'll die on the job. And he did. I mean, he's a very memorable character, and obviously, a lot of people from the current generation know him for his famous Sports Center commercial, you know, with the with the Slayer T-shirt. So it was a big loss for the NFL community last week, and I know even Roger Goodell put out a statement, you know, praising John Clayton and the contributions he made. John, I wanted to close the podcast talking a little baseball. Obviously, Carlos Correa, we talked about it at the start of the podcast. He's gone to the Twins. The amount of talent that has left the Astros in free agency the past few off seasons has been staggering. This is just since the end of the 2018 season. They lost Charlie Morton, Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Cole, George Springer, and now Carlos Correa. I know a lot of Astros fans are up in arms. They're calling Jim Crane cheap. I don't necessarily think Jim Crane is cheap. I mean, they still have a top 10 payroll in MLB, but he, he's not going to give a hand out these long-term mega contracts like the 10-year contract. He'll, I mean, they'll spend money, but they'll spend it to their parameters. Is this approach of theirs going to turn off more fans here, do you think? Or is, does it matter? Does it not matter as long as they keep winning? Well, as long as they keep winning, it's not going to matter. But, you know, he's gotten team-friendly deals for McCullers, Bregman, Altuve. And um, the thing that bothers me about Correa, why didn't he do the deal that Minnesota did? That guarantees you got him for one year. Think about how exciting this season would be. They'd be favored to go to the World Series again, be six years in a row. Even though if we knew he was leaving, you still 
would have him for one final season. Now Minnesota's going to have him for one season and maybe three quarters of a season if he gets traded before the deadline and they're out of the playoff race. But it just losing Springer and Correa, two of the most popular players in franchise history in back-to-back seasons, is a, is a, a gut punch for every fan out there because I, they're great players, they're great guys, they're team leaders, and uh, and I could understand Springer. I think he got what 150 million, and uh, but Correa, man, to go to the Twins. I watched his news conference. I'm thinking everybody knows you came for one reason. It's always about the money. I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. You can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N, on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, reading, and viewing, Greg, and thank you very much. 